before we dive into episode 35 with Connor, I've just got a few announcements. First, happy Star Wars Day! It is May the 4th, and with the Bad Batch airing today and a ton of new Star Wars content around the corner, it's a fantastic time to be a Star Wars fan, so take some time to appreciate this fantastic universe that has brought us all together. May the 4th be with you always. And beyond Star Wars, I do want to wish the Muslim community and our Muslim listeners a very happy Ramadan, a truly inspiring and beautiful expression of your faith. It is the first episode in May, and here at Outer Rim Reads, I donate $1 for every patron we have over at patreon.com slash Reads at the start of each month to charity. And by the time of recording, we have 11 patrons, which means I've donated $11 to PATH. PATH is a global health nonprofit based in Seattle who work to accelerate health equity on both the global and local scale, working in more than 70 different countries. I figured PATH would be a good organization to donate to this month in light of the truly horrific and saddening COVID-19 situation in India. According to the New York Times, PATH has a team of more than 200 people working in India in order to obtain oxygen supplies and to accelerate COVID testing and surveillance. Although we're fortunate here in the U.S. to have millions of vaccinations a day, the struggle is by no means over, especially in countries like India right now, where there are more than 400,000 new cases a day and more than 2,000 people dying each day. So if you want to know more about how PATH is helping in India, you can learn more at PATH.org. Let's keep playing our part to help put this pandemic to an end. This stretches far beyond our own borders. Speaking of donations and people who make it possible for Outer Rim Reads to keep donating each month, we have a new patron to welcome to the team. So shout out to Ellis for joining the family, as well as a huge thank you to all of our patrons, with special thanks to our patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. I can't thank each of you enough for your support of the show. It really means so much to me that you've decided to fund independent creators in general, but especially Outer Rim Reads. Thank you all so much. If you'd like to join our team and get access to our Patreon Discord server, episode bloopers and bonus audio, exclusive stickers and more, you can join for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. Be sure to stay involved with our Search Your Reading segment. I post the discussion questions to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where you can comment your thoughts or email them to me at outerrimreadspod at gmail.com. With all that said... Let's get into episode 35 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 35. Season 2's penultimate episode of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we'll be drawing nearer to the close of Master and Apprentice, covering a flashback scene as well as chapters 35 and 36, and I'm joined by a hero from behind the scenes of the show, my editor, Connor Floyd. Connor, how's it going today? 
I'm great, and you killed that opening. That was awesome. I had I'm to. great. I'm so good. <laughs> and I had to honor you. Hearing you say that, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> also, hearing you say that, I just, I just freaking realized um, continuity. Uh, I just realized I, I was on the second to last episode for last season, wasn't I? Oh, you were. Dang, that's like a theme, I guess. You fucker. Yeah, I. That's great. I, <laughs> that's, no, that's cool. That's fun. Yeah, I've got my own little corner of continuity that I exist in. Right, exactly. You're always there for for eternity <laughs> for the second to last episode of every book I'll cover. You're just there. I'm convinced you pull me in just to just to see whether or not I was actually reading the book. That's <laughs> just it, quiet still might for be all very much a like, possibility. Connor, come on in and talk about this fucking chapter. You've been silent for an awfully long time. It's like my nightmare in English class. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is this. I'm very interested to see whether this will be a nightmare for you because you told me off air or like on on or off air we've been go we've been talking for a bit that you actually <laughs> forgot your notes and the book itself and it works so <laughs> it's fucking awesome. I hope you're not intimidated. I, mean, I I was I I read I was reading this at work in school with our student well we only had one student in class and I was reading it with headphones like sound canceling headphones on just so I could focus and I I was reading it and I got to the end and I went ah! I like threw the book down and I just like went on a walk. I was like, I got to talk to somebody about this. Was, right. Yeah. <laughs> this is the really these chapters are where um, shit hits the fan. Uh, <laughs> oh, hang on really quickly. I am not recording. I'm just kidding. You're Keep pulling going. my leg. No, I, <laughs> I, I, why are you doing this? <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a nap all day. I'm, I'm in a good mood. Oh, yeah. You, you brought the energy. <laughs> this is what we need for, for the last episode that I'm recording for Master and Apprentice uh, in my life. So I'm, we're off to a good start. <laughs> but, uh, but we got a lot of, to talk about today, Connor. But before we do that, in case any of the listeners uh, aren't familiar with you or they haven't um, heard one of our episodes before because you also came on for one of the inner season break episodes talking about Thrawn, I think. Um, could you let the listeners know about just a brief um, overview of your background as a Star Wars fan, you know, how you got introduced to Star Wars and then also with Master and Apprentice? Yeah, um, I think the last time I spoke about this, I did a piss poor job because I was so anxious and just speaking fast. But um, <laughs> yeah, like my, my entry as a Star Wars fan begins as it's it, well being a Star Wars fan is a spectrum there are other people who got into it later versus early but sure. um yeah growing up I had you had two different sides you had my you had my uh, my my uncle and then my other uncle on my mom's side of the family and they raised me on Tolkien and Star Wars it's fantastic <laughs> <clears throat> and I mean I, I I was three years old when I went to my first movie which was uh not Star Wars but Star Trek um first contact traitor and uh hey man i had no choice in the damn matter but they they apparently i was like so attentive and just was like up right the whole time it did not make a fuss and afterwards they were like well maybe let's show them star wars and then they did that and ever since then it's it's my my uncle david is my like bi like i mean my biggest role model for star wars just because mm. he was there getting he was the one helping me into it and then i also have um sure as of my cousin, who's also one of my best friends, who's born two days apart from me, and we've been diehard Star Wars fans ever since. But, um, I mean, yeah, collecting lightsaber hilts and lightsabers and <laughs> um, action figures, obviously, because that's, God, so good. Um, yep. But, yeah, I think I was I was Luke Skywalker for such a long period of my life in Halloween. Um, and that's, uh, what was the question? 
Just, Star Wars? Yes, yeah, I'm just a fan of Star Wars, man. <laughs> Fuck off about it. Why do you want to know, Narc? <laughs> I want to know everything. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you asking these questions? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, just Star Wars is great. Um, and uh, what was the other question? How about Master and Apprentice? Where did you first? Uh, you know, wh- when did you first read it? Uh, how did you get yes. introduced to this book? I got introduced to it by. Um, so you. Uh, I don't it's, it feel weird that you're asking you called me do you not remember you were like hey I have an idea to do this I was like I never know I don't know what book that is and you're like oh it's about this I was like that's a great idea it's cool um, and I read it and it's 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 fucking amazing this is the part where I get to take a shot because Claudia Gray is a fantastic author yep. oh, there she's we go. Yep. <laughs> genuinely brilliant I, I love it and every episode deserves a praiser because she's genuinely fucking good um, but no so I, I didn't um I didn't uh, know about it until you brought it up to do it for season two. Sure. And uh, I'm also new to reading the in general Star Wars literature. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm new to reading in general. <laughs> yeah, I don't I just I yeah, I ask the wind what stories it has for me. Name of the wind. I don't want. There it is. All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's ultimately because of Outer Rim reads for even knowing about these books and. What a long, strange trip it's been. These are lovely stories. Oh, I'm glad that you're enjoying them. I, I promise that I didn't ask that question for you to be able to say that, hey, it was actually you that, you know, it was, you know, just in case the listeners oh, didn't no, know. Oh, no, that was the bit. <laughs> that was 100% the motivation there. <laughs> uh, but the flashback and the chapters that we've got today are are really good. This is really where the climactic moment uh, of the book really starts and, and takes place. Uh, there's a lot that goes on. So how about we dive right in? Um, we, we have the flashback first, and you know I don't have summaries prepared for the flashbacks just because they're so short. Um, but we start out with Young Gan. We're in his quarters, and he's kind of on the phone, on the, holo- on the holophone with Rail, and this is still in the aftermath of the whole incident with Shendomal, where Dooku had, you know, quite Yungan didn't see it, but we can infer that Dooku used force lightning on Shendomal. And this has really shaken Yungan, and rightfully so. Um, but we have Rail here trying to pass it off as as no big deal. You know, he's saying that Dooku did that because he was afraid for you, he he cares about you, and Rail says, quote, Dooku saw your life was in danger. He overreacted, but you're safe. Shendimal is on ice at Stygian Prime, and Dooku's back to himself again. And Yungan thinks to himself, I don't know that he is. And really, this is following up on his doubts about Dooku at the incident of what happened there, and, and it's it's very curious to see that how unsure he is of his master at this point after really considering Dooku and Rail to be these rocks in his life as an apprentice. But now we're really seeing the doubts about his master flow in. Yeah, it was really good. I um, Something that I really enjoyed about this moment was that it felt, it felt like a moment that's very relatable to virtually everybody in the world. Um, mm. Growing up and having rocks in your life, whether it's your parents, whether it's a role model you look up to that is yeah. personally present, and knowing like, hey, you're like you're you're the thing help you're the you're the one that's helping me, and 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 I have so much to learn from you. And then hitting that point where you're starting to make your own independent decisions on on what learning is and what there is to learn, and Qui Gon being so uncomfortable with that, and yeah. and trying to have an honest conversation about it and get his thoughts together, 
and the person that he's talking to is his other rock in and that moment like you said and in the the description mentions he's uh, he's he's um he's smoking a death stick he's got yeah. a drink coming in like this is all this is all such a, a lackadaisical experience yeah. for for rail it's and it, it's just I, I that's something that that resonated with me was like yeah i remember trying to talk to an adult pretty seriously at a younger age and then just realizing like i'm like maybe you're not the person i should be speaking to like maybe you were never the person you should be speaking to yeah. then about something like this which is uh, it, that it's that's real it's always a, a heavy hitting moment but it's it's i think it's a moment a lot of people you, you have to go through that when you realize you, you have to make your own decisions and you it, it's it's healthy to think that way um, yeah but uh and i another thing i wanted to bring up was stygian prime Yep. <laughs> I know that from Dude. Dooku, uh, not Dooku, Darth Maul, son of Dathomir, uh, the comic there. Um, yes. And also that's where, uh, that's where Master Luminar Unduli, uh was allegedly oh, imprisoned. Oh, in, in Rebels? Uh, in Rebels. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Oh, I didn't, yeah. I forgot that was uh, St- Stygian, Stygian. Um, I guess if I'm saying Stygian, I would be saying Jif instead of Gif. So I guess I'm going to have to go with Stygian Prime, Stygian. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah that, that's I, a that good was, connection. That was fun. <clears throat> um. uh, but that's that was that's a good point though, and I think uh, when you're when you were saying that about you know kind of learning to make decisions for yourself now after you know you kind of see that the people you considered kind of rocks in your life may not be as good of a foundation as you had once thought. You know, it, it kind of reminded me of how when we're young we tend to think about a lot of adults in our lives as, you know, we don't really often see them struggle. We see them as kind of like these perfect figures to, to you know, in some cases to live up to. And then here, Qui-Gon seeing that actually Dooku, there's a lot going on behind the scenes with Dooku that he kind of sees hints about, but he doesn't know fully about. And he's starting to have his doubts and, and see kind of like that Dooku is very flawed, maybe in ways that he doesn't yet completely understand. I was caught by this moment here when young gun is you know he's in his thoughts and he's reflecting that dooku has been very preoccupied with prophecies and a specific one in particular where um it's the prophecy of quote he who learns to conquer death will through his greatest student live again is is he already talking with palpatine at this moment you know what what did what did you make of that it it was very you know it really catches your eye there what what did you make of that i so I don't know, like I mentioned earlier, I, I, I am new to reading the canon literature for Star Wars. Um, so I'm just going to imagine that there's going to be somebody listening who like knows the fucking answer to this. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I asked myself that, like, is, does this mean that like maybe is his fixation coming from a temptation from the shadows of Palpatine? Mm. Like I, but if not, like, I wonder if maybe like, is it possible that Dooku at this point in time, while he is flirting with darkness, is it possible that like, because we know that Dooku's fall is not a, it's 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 a it's a fairly graceful one, right? Yeah. He gets he gets seduced into it pretty, pretty subtly, and he thinks he's doing the right thing for a. Isn't correct me where I am wrong, but like he 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 doesn't do it going like I'm going to twirl my mustache and be evil. Like he he turns to the dark side for the sake of not agreeing with the ideologies of the Jedi Order proper yeah. and and thinking he had so something that I was thinking was like oh I wonder if maybe like this is his fixation on this is his fear for the Sith to rise. And maybe mm-hmm. this is like before his, but I, I don't, I, there, I think there's a lot of ways that you can 
oh, for read sure. into it. And I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's a, I mean, but also if it's related to Palpatine, what, what exactly is that referencing? Like, that's something that I, I yeah, cause this was, I was this like, had come up previously in the book pretty early on. Um, I wasn't entirely sure, you know, how it lines up with him. Um, we just know sure that it was to... kind of his goal was to, to conquer death. Um, so that's kind yeah. Of... And then, but with this prophecy, I was wondering, it's like, cause like through through his student will rise again. Like I was like, oh, so if if is is this speaking metaphorically on which is interesting because you're going to get to that point where that's that that gets talked about. But like, is yeah. it is it is it genuinely metaphor where they're talking about the the fact that an idea can't die? So a good a good master will mm. always live on in their students' teachings, which is also you could pair that with like the Last Jedi and the lessons yeah. learned in that, right? Like like we like our failures are their lessons and they carry that with them yeah um so like i don't know if his if necessarily if, if his reading on that prophecy could have been like maybe he was being uh tempted by palpatine at this point and maybe he's maybe he's aware of it and maybe he's trying to look into this kind of thing and he's trying to figure out if there's a way that qui-gon comes out on top i, I but i genuinely i i don't yeah. know enough and i really do owe it to myself uh to go read dooku law so i could get a better perspective on yeah. where he was at i still time. need to do that <laughs> yeah it sucks we're like talking about certain things and i feel like there are other people that are like no you idiot like screaming no. into their phones right now or just like into their speakers you fool, you fool. <laughs> unsubscribe you idiot <laughs> yeah hey just as dooku's flawed so so am i <laughs> so fine um <laughs> the difference is i know i'm lost <laughs> is getting deep and also gets kind of deep with something that Qui-Gon thinks here but because uh, yes. you know as this flashback is is closing up it ends in Dooku's quarters that evening um, where when he's walking over to meet with Dooku he's he's thinking about Dooku's relationship with prophecies thinking quote he still believed in the prophecies but his master's fixation on them had taken an uncanny cast that colored everything else between them which sounds very reminiscent of kind of him and Obi-Wan in the present day with how Obi-Wan might view Qui-Gon where it's like that guy is so fixated on prophecies it's like it's coming between us because Obi-Wan yeah. doesn't see them the same way it was like pretty much a parallel there yeah I first off uh these three chapters when I was reading them I had I was listening to uh, uh Friedrich Cho uh, Chopin and I, I I I need this book to be tra uh, translated into a film it would it would do That'd so well but i this pairing though to, so to now to get that out of the way and go back to what you're saying so this pairing of how qui-gon's like acute awareness of what dooku is master dooku is going through and then to pair that with the present day or a relative present day how earlier obi-wan was talking about that too is like he's always noting his fixation on these prophecies i think that makes qui-gon of like an even more interesting character and this whole book is just showing how interesting he is a guy that we didn't get to spend a lot of time with but yeah I really love this idea that this is showing us that he was at a point that Obi-Wan was at. Exactly. But I, but the the difference, though, is I think it was much worse when Qui-Gon was going through it. It sounds like it was much, much worse. It sounds like Count Dooku was intimidating him. A lot of a lot of experiences. He, there's even a line where he says, like, we're not friends. And I, I he says, like, he knows that they're not friends. They're only they're only a master and apprentice. That's mm. it. And he's aware of that. And I, I took that to. I took that to counter what Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are going through because yeah. I understand that they are master and apprentice, but I feel like there is a, a, a more intimate and sincere warmth there For sure. than what somebody has when they say, oh, we're not friends. I'm their apprentice. Yeah. Um, but I love the idea that Qui-Gon has been this stoic figure of somebody who's been able to understand what the, like where the end of the table is and someone who's not been afraid to outline that that edge 
and never jump off of it. And sure. this this is kind of showing like, oh, the person came before him that helped uh, that helped implant these ideas. Exactly. Well, the problem is they were jumping off the, the edge. Like they, they were going farther than they needed to where Qui-Gon respected what the edge of that table was and he would never throw the envelope off yeah. of it. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, a great point. And we really see the... The similarities between Master Dooku and Master, you know, Master Qui-Gon in the present day, but then also how Qui-Gon took what he learned from Dooku and also, you know, kind of became, you know, he, he, because like you said, he, he was, he is not as cold and distanced from Obi-Wan as Dooku was from him. So it's like he's taking what he learned from Dooku and then also making it more perfect in a a way, or he's doing his best in, in a way that Dooku maybe never attempted to or saw the need to do that um yeah but to to close out this scene you know dooku says you know because when qui-gon joins him he sees that the holocron that they've been studying together is not there uh, and he, he's asking why and dooku says that they've been spending too much time on it and they've been getting carried away and that you know prophecies and all this they're not real they're just metaphors and Yungan can tell that his tone there shifted and doesn't really believe him there but he settles on if if that's what Dooku is choosing to believe, then then he will too. And and we get this ending here, which is very different from the Qui-Gon that we know in present day, um, where, quote, So in the days and the months and the years that followed, whenever he walked by the holocron in the Jedi archives or remembered one of the quatrains late at night, he would push the thought aside. He didn't want to believe, so he wouldn't. And the... Uh, the thought finishes very very deep down he sometimes wondered whether anyone truly believed out of pure faith or whether people believed whatever they had to in order to keep going but most of the time Qui-Gon's thoughts went no further than only a metaphor yeah and that's pretty so good. pretty deep so good. So good. <laughs> what, what are your I... what are your thoughts on that that was a, a deep some deep thoughts from young Ganjin. That so again with the conversation that we we briefly had of like that 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 moment in life when you realize that you it's that moment where you realize like you're making your own independent decisions and um thought processes. The idea that a Jedi Padawan is is contemplating like oh I, I wonder I wonder how many people ha- keep the faith out of out of sincere belief in uh, um or if they do it out of survival necessity of going like, this is what I have to do because if I do not, things fall apart. Um, Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's, that's something, I mean, I personally, I've, I've grappled with that as a kid who was raised in a, like a a religious house home where I, that, and that's one reason why this was very relatable to me. I'm not personally religious anymore, obviously very open to everybody having a belief, but like that was something I grappled with was like, kind of confronting the adults in my life and being like oh i'm i'm kind of curious like what what makes you so certain and and the the, the way that that ended that, that just resonated with a, a, a very real moment in fifth grade that i had where it was like oh i'm it's a beautiful question to ask and yeah. maybe not something that warrants an answer because that's something that i think a lot of people are allowed to find out for themselves for sure um yeah it was it was gorgeous i'm glad you i'm glad you had that whole quote ready to read out because that was that whole passage to end that uh uh flashback was brilliant i I like how you said that you know it doesn't necessarily warrant an answer because it's something deep and personal to each person and their and their walk in life um and so i i'm not going to try to follow up on that i think you you summed it up uh, very well there and but you know how about i read my summary for chapter 35 and we will dive into 
everything that happens there. Do it. Dive, baby. Dive. <laughs> Do it. Finally, the long-anticipated and highly controversial coronation day on Bijal has arrived. Rail, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Fanery each prepare themselves for the ceremony to come. When in the Celestial Chalice, Qui-Gon's tensions rise with every moment as he waits for his troubling vision to come true. As the ceremony goes underway, Obi-Wan joins Fanery and the rest of the procession at the central dais. Meanwhile, Qui-Gon keeps a close eye on Captain Darren, who is next to Fanery and in a perfect position to strike her down. However, as Fanery accepts a ceremonial sword from the Skykeeper, the master of the ceremony, the princess suddenly strikes down the religious leader and reveals herself to be behind all of the plots on Pijal. Obi-Wan is able to fend off Captain Darren, but not before Fanery and her handmaiden, Katie, escape with royal troops to confront Zerka in orbit. Um, this is where Whoa! we get the twist. <laughs> This is where we get the twist. This uh, is pod racing. Now this is pod. Oh, jeez. What what are your what are your thoughts on thirty five? Before we dive right in, man, this is wild. I. It was so damn good. I don't. It, it it felt like I. It felt like Hans Zimmer was scoring it, where it was the interstellar, just the the clock ticking. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> And Qui-Gon's just looking at everyone. Okay, Obi-Wan's coming in. All right, uh, Captain Darren's down there. Fuck. <laughs> I, there, I, I, I loved it, though. I really, man, I loved it so much. It was really well. I, It, it was really well, I believe, is proper it English. Was really, it was, yeah, it was, <laughs> I know how to English. It was, it was real good, right? Not, I swear. Um, yeah, I loved it. Let's talk about it. Move on, move yeah, on. What'd you think about it? Yeah, you know... <laughs> oh, I'll get to my I'll get to my thoughts. Uh, but, you know, you were you were talking about how you would love for this to become a movie adaptation, and I think the beginning of it starts. At, you know, we kind of like get this montage from Rail yes. to Obi Wan, or Rail to Fanry to Obi Wan and Qui Gon, and it feels it feels straight out of a movie where it's just transitioning. You know, these kind of. Uh, you know, quickish cuts from character to character before the the final climactic moment, or not the final climactic moment, but really like the big twist. Um, and so let, let's let's start there. We we start with Rail, and um, you know, <laughs> I wonder if I I'm just gonna read read what's uh, what Rail is doing here. Um, I fucking love it. It's so great. I love it. It's so good. <laughs> it's, it's such a throw off, man. Quote. Avros had never done this for anyone before. He never intended to do it for anyone again. But just this once, just for Fanry, it was worth it. He stood in front of a mirror, wearing a traditional Pijali court tunic and trousers, complete with cape. So really, that build-up just for him to be standing, like what he did for Fanry there, was standing in front of this mirror, and he's actually dressed up nicely. I was just like, <laughs> such a build-up for really a trivial thing was so funny yeah i as as somebody who dresses poorly to work and often gets commented on it i really this is another thing that resonated really hard <laughs> You're real like when i actually dress up and i'm like you motherfucker <laughs> and everyone's like oh you look good and i'm like yeah a lot of people are saying that it's weird connor is that you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i, I love i love too that he's just like I've never done this for anybody. I'm never doing it again. God damn it. <laughs> Dressing up nicely <laughs> just... for someone. <laughs> yeah. And he's shaved too. It's just the whole I look. Know, I know. 
And I, his hair was trimmed, right? Like his hair's been like cropped up and like does is like all done in really nicely. He shaved his. He styled. He styled his hair. So it's you know, hair, whatever that means yeah, yeah. for Elavira. <laughs> I have to imagine split ends have been trimmed, and it's 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 more. It's it's got the personality, the volume, the body, the soul, the heart. It's oh, there. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I love this that uh, you know he's he's with this droid who's helping him get ready, and he says, "Quote: <laughs> Am I nuts or do I look great?" To which the droid replies, "The terms are not mutually exclusive." <laughs> <laughs> and then his his thought is like, "Damn." Burned by a droid. This is going to be a good day. <laughs> so, like, I love that they literally add that. Like, he's he's yeah. so aware of this day. He's like, all right, opening up with the burn from a droid. We'll have, we're going to have a great night tonight. We got it. That was such, such a great... I'm glad that they started off on this lighthearted note, especially with everything that happens. But it was... I, I got a good laugh from that. <laughs> yeah. It, I also... I think it's really interesting to... Uh, I it's, it's not necessarily something so deep to like, oh, let's sit and analyze and, and cut into it. But I really... It, it reminded me of, um, of virtually any narrative that utilizes good flashbacks to uh, to show a character's place in time before development happens. But mm. it was it was really cool to go from the hologram uh, from um, uh, which, by the way, I just realized you didn't mention where he was during that flashback. But he was at Taco Fucking Donna, Maz's oh, castle. He was, yeah. I wrote that. I made what a note of that. What the hell, book. Claudia? <laughs> Wait, no. I, I don't think he. I don't think was no, he, he wasn't at on, Maz's he, castle, but he was in Takadana. Wait, hang on. Um, Go I'm, ahead. I'm gonna find this. Fact check me, asshole. No, no. So, okay, no, no, no. He was. He was. It was. He was using like a metaphor. He said, but instead of taking this seriously, Rail was joking around and sucking a death stick in a. Lo- Oh, he was Taco there. Donna. I thought he in was Taco saying. Donna. Oh my! I thought he was saying that he Ladies was doing that gentlemen. like someone who would be. He was legit. Oh my! Oh, he was legit on he Taco was Donna. In hot Taco Donna, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know what? I Jesus. When Christ. you open this shit up and they're like Stiggy and Prime Taco Donna, I was just like underlining it, being like, "Dear Diary, references, <laughs> references everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere." <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that's that's a great catch. But yeah, so but the the thing that I enjoyed was um I I I liked the idea of an even more adolescent than he already is, Rail, who's just I mean I guess he's smoking just a cigarette. I guess that's what a death stick is. Yeah, seems like um, it. But he, so he's just he's smoking. He's having a drink, and his I guess what could be said is like his youngest brother in the this dysfunctional family is trying to talk to him about something and he's just throwing it up be like look man people care about you and when you're in danger people that care about you are going to do things that might push them over the limit yeah. it's not that big a deal don't read into it move on from it. it's not a big deal and now here we are and he has done things yeah. for people that he has cared about and it has put him in a very interesting consequence mm. um or, or it's had very interesting consequences and now we have this moment where as i mean i, I think it's probably the most adult thing he's ever done yeah. is he's dressing up he's trying to make himself look proper for a tradition for for an honorary celebration in a in a coronation and i just thought it was interesting being like oh yeah like young adult rail versus like hot daddy rail (laughs) which one do we want but um but yeah i I liked seeing the stark contrast in his points of life that's that's a really great point you know and he has gone to lengths for fanery for whom he cares about um yeah, uh, that's that's a that's a really I like that connection there, and it's very yeah starkly contrast between the rail that we get in the holocron and then rail who's actually <laughs> dressing up nice and and 
doing something serious for one of the yeah. first times. He's and it's interesting too because he's he's almost the, through this book he's been he's been presenting himself as like an overbearing, overprotective yep. uh, parent figure, and that's what's interesting is like young version of Rail who's never experienced that kind of loss and that kind of that kind that the those amount of consequences with your own actions. He's so lackadaisical about it, and it's it's super fa- yeah. like I mean that's the thing that I think makes good storytelling is just seeing you know it's it, he he couldn't cash that check yeah but we see that he was trying to at a younger age and now at an older at an older point in time we see that what it's done to him for and sure. it, it results in him being overbearing a lot like what he was trying to defend count dooku for being yeah oh um, wow jeez um those are some really great points <laughs> some really great connections that i had not thought about so i'm glad that you're here to bring them to light uh really really using the the flashback well in tandem with the next chapter that we get that's uh that's yeah, really... it's paired really well I, I, claudia knocked out of the park also if you make them relevant to a child's upbringing they will be able to talk about See, right it. there we go <laughs> the perfect guy to come on for this one <laughs> but uh, in the uh, kind of the, in the next part of this montage we get fanery and just really the the thing to note here is that you know uh, Katie is giving her this kind of thick bracelet to wear under one of her sleeves. You know, it's kind of odd to note that initially, but we find out soon enough what it is for uh, when shit goes down. And I think there's a really, a really telling line here where kind of Fanry is said to square her shoulders more like a soldier than a princess. And, you know, she, Love that line. Uh, which is really, you know, it, it's, it is what happens where she really becomes this warrior queen rather than just a young innocent princess. So I, I, I like that little note there from Claudia, really setting that up, you know, kind of inconspicuously for the first time reader. Uh, Cause I did not see the twist coming when I first read it, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. But with, uh, with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's, you know, uh, brief cuts it's you know obi-wan's basically trying to get into the chalice beforehand but darren had said it's off limits so kind of darren is looking sus right now um and and qui-gon is meditating which is kind of on brand but there is this thought that uh, that qui-gon gives um where you know he's he's thinking to himself that he wants to be wrong about this vision he doesn't want it to happen yes. and he he thinks to himself let my dream have been no more than a dream let the prophecies become mere metaphors once again. I would rather protect this planet, these people, my Padawan, than be granted any glimpse into the future. It's it's so important, it. this, this thought for him, because this is really the opposite of what people see him doing on Pijal here with the council, you know, rail beforehand before he kind of switched back to his side. And really everyone thinks that Qui-Gon is seeking out this vision of the future, that he wants to, you know, control it. And here we're seeing, really, it's the opposite. He does not want this to happen, and he would forego any glimpse into the future if it meant protecting the people that he loves, which is, you know, also in, in theme of what was talked about before. But it's a really great insight, and if only people saw what he thinks here, it could make all the difference. Yeah, it's beautiful because it really shows that, yeah, it's not... It's not the ambitious adventure, a- adventurous seeker of truths that he that he is perceived to be. It's more of he is burdened by not. He's it to quote. Damn it, Marvel, you win. <laughs> to quote Loki from uh, the Avengers, it's he's burdened with glorious purpose. Yeah. And he didn't choose it. His master was the one who kind of like pushed, nudged him on that path. But he's not even doing it in a sense of like trying to gain something. He's only trying to understand more. 
But then we have this moment and it, it, it has this awesome inverse of what episode three is where he says, I would trade my knowledge of the future to save the ones I love. Where Anakin embraces his knowledge of the future to wow. save the ones that he loves. Holy Granted, shit. Anakin does do it subconsciously. He's not actively going like, I'm going to look forward and see how everything is. But like, wow. there's that brilliant inverse. And it's cool to see because... Anakin does get Anakin has that yes and Anakin is powerful his medical account is through the goddamn roof server 9000 make the joke but <laughs> Qui-Gon is the one who trains Obi-Wan Obi-Wan is the one who trains Anakin and to go back to that prophecy that we were just fucking saying it's not of a bitch maybe we just figured out what that prophecy meant of like if the the master lives on in your apprentice is Qui-Gon living on in Anakin in the sense that having that understanding of the future to save your own loved ones. However, Anakin's does get perverted and, and it is, is a more perverse yep. understanding of what, of what that, that, that sentiment is. But I loved every second of what we have to talk about. Yep. Uh, that is the end of my rant. <laughs> it was really great. And I just love any of those moments that we get to really, and it, there's been a lot in this book uh, to really get that glimpse into Qui-Gon's monologue and seeing where he approaches these situations and really how much he cares about other people even if it you know means considering something that he cares about so much in the prophecies as just considering the metaphors again if it means that the people he cares about are will be safe um we, oh I, I would actually like to bring something up to that do it um we you, so you and i again you and i haven't read dooku lost but maybe to go back to the flashback, it's it's very possible that that's why Dooku didn't bring the holocron to dinner and he sent it away. It's very possible that he hit a point where he said, "I'd rather trade my." Like I, I think it's interesting because oh, wow. he, again, with this 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 budding, swelling acknowledgement, uh, this right, this 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 crescendo of of the master with their their immense knowledge of the future and what that means, and then wishing to be able to put it away yeah dooku was physically able to do that qui-gon isn't because this this idea of the future is coming with him no matter where yep. he goes um and i th there there's an interesting parallel it's almost like like the wise seer of things yeah. who needs a relic versus the wise seer of things who has that inherent attunement to all things and doesn't need a relic to do it right yeah. and i mm, oh, oh so go to the next part Stop <laughs> that's me so good out. oh man yeah no so we do get to the celestial chalice and i'm just gonna cut right to it you know because we do get that build up and hilarious moment where everyone does not recognize rail because he is dressed nicely and uh minister <laughs> orth like does this thing where like i think she like takes off her glasses and cleans them puts them back on like, is that you like it was just it you was, actually look handsome right it was it was great i'm what, what was the ship name from earlier in the um orth Ortheros? Yeah, Ortheros, I think. That was the, the name that I gave their ship. Oh! Um, <laughs> I was like, hold on, we've got the Righteous, we've got the... The Leverage, the Merics, what, what was he going here? Bad. I forgot you were saying ship as in, like, a shipping, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, the, the Ortheros train, the Ortheros ship is, is sailing strong right there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's just, let's cut to it. I'm going to read it, um, and it. then we yes. can react. It's just, it caught me by surprise, and it happened so quickly, yes. too, which is... It's incredible. So uh, I'll just read it from the text. Quote, Will you, the Skykeeper said, wield this blade to defend Pijal, to protect it from its enemies, to preserve its independence? Yes, Fenry said. I will. Qui-Gon kept his eyes fixed on Darren, which was why he almost missed the moment that Princess Fenry stabbed the Skykeeper. Oh, my God. Like, it, it, what the fuck? <laughs> what? The oh my god! What, what did you think about this twist? It was just 
Oh, my, I, I, I was I it totally exactly caught by surprise it. here. It, it was, jeez. Oh, I read it and then went, all right, next line. Wait, hang on. Let me read that again. Hold I think up, I what? missed something. And read it again. And like, it didn't even phase me. And the second time I read it, I went, what? <laughs> and, then, and then there's there's a moment that wasn't brought up, but it's super interesting is um, you, you mentioned Katie putting on the yep. bracelet on her wrist, but there's another distinct character, uh, um, uh, a visual with her, yep. which is that her hair is no longer in her like royal scarf. Yeah, um, it's down for the first time. It's, yep. it's down. It's written beautifully because it's just it's just bowing down. It's just it's just curls hanging loose. Yeah. Just just they're they're having a damn good time. And um, but yeah, I, I thought that was super interesting. Was like it, this is a moment of revelation for Pijal and for their their like as you mentioned, their their fucking warrior queen. Yeah. And it's it's she's presenting herself in a whole new light and 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 having actions that that resonate in a different way too. And it's. It's it's it was man it was awesome it was Got, yeah yeah <laughs> out of nowhere it's like and like how you Took mentioned the wind out of my, that her yeah. hair is down for the first time in public uh, in in down in public for the first time is that the people there in a way they're seeing her for the first time but then they're also seeing who she really is uh, like uh, kind of on the inside for the first time as well so there's like two la- two mm-hmm. layers to this revelation that everyone that the ceremony is getting and that maybe uh, I'm assuming that the Pijali citizens are watching on their on their hollow screens everyone is seeing her for who she truly is whether that's her appearance and her hair being down for the first time which is monumental or this this moment where she proclaims herself as kind of the this this savior of the planet where she will rid them of the Zerka corporation that she'll fight for them but let's it's let's amazing. go through what happens here is that you know the skykeeper was stabbed, but they're they're alive. They're just badly wounded. And you know, as Rail is totally in shock beside Qui Gon, Fannery does give this brief speech where she basically says that the treaty would rid her of her power that is necessary for her to to get Zerka off of Pajal, and that Zerka and Rail are only interested in the profit here that the Zerka will bring to Pajal. And we see that, you know, the bracelet that was on her wrist activates kind of like this personal shield around her. And Darren has also activated a shield around the dais as well. And we get this 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 scene as, you know, kind of the chaos is ensuing as people are trying to react here. Merritt Cole tries to make a run for it. And Captain Darren just shoots Merritt Cole right there. The, the Zerka supervisor just, uh, Qui-Gon notices that she kind of falls to the ground in the crowd. It's absolute chaos. But we also get this reference here where Qui-Gon tries to buy Obi-Wan some time and he lunges for the dais and he takes a slash at the shield to no effect. And he thinks to himself, Carabast. <laughs> yes! Loved it! Loved it! Oh, I think that's like the fun. one time he's ever sworn in his goddamn right? life. It has to be a big like, moment. It's this one moment where he's like, I've got it! Fuck me! <laughs> that is, yeah, that's pretty, that, that's the, what it equates to pretty much. Uh. But also, like, you guys have talked about this on previous episodes. It's like, this is the one thing that I think is genuinely, like, I don't... It's 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 an interesting choice to to paint a picture of Jedi who go up against something that their lightsaber can't just slice through because mm. they're not in God mode, no clip, and all of a sudden their hearts are just broken. They're like, oh, I can't do the what? thing. <laughs> and like, I don't. To me, that was like the, that's the one thing that Claudia Gray has done in this story. Where I'm like, have Jedi really never in a, in a universe where vibroblades are canon? Have Jedi never trained against any other substance right? that can block a lightsaber yeah. that they're like. 
<laughs> they've they've busted their load in just a lightsaber's existence and if anyone makes anything else they're like oh that's a great point uh that was touched on in one of the previous search your readings you know yeah. um and it's fair you know it's like you'd think that they would have in their training like other alternatives you know ready to mind and you know where it's like if something foils their lightsaber just like all right we we have a plan b rather than just like Carabast. I guess that's it then, right? <laughs> well, I'm going to pack up. That was a good game. Uh, but at the same time, though, I guess that does match pretty well with what Jedi ideology is, right? Which is this constant conquest and um, crusade against the dark and the path of the dark. And Jedi spend their entire lives learning and training for that. Yep. And we see that there is a moment in episode one where Qui-Gon fails fighting Darth Maul. But, like, we could use this exact example, right? Like, yeah. oh, are you telling me they never trained against having to fight against another person with a, a double-bladed lightsaber? Like, other lightsabers exist. Other Jedi have their own fighting styles. So I guess it, it really just is, like, I, I guess we're meant to take this not as, like, a interesting shock value the way I was just trying to propose it. Honestly, this thought just came to me. And more of a, like, yeah, they've most likely trained for it, but the amount of times they go up against it is are so few between. and far between yeah. that it genuinely catches them off guard where they are they're caught with their pants down because it really their muscle memory doesn't really exist as, as well as they'd like it to be yeah. kind of the opposite of, of practicing your your basics right the way he wants obi-wan to do yeah um but that's yeah that's that's also fair you know because it is not you know because qui-gon's seen a lot in his lifetime and it's you know he's never come up against something that is you know kind of like their, their lightsabers are impervious again so it's it's rare and we can understand why he is surprised here i don't i don't think he had any particular hopes that it would work but he he was disappointed to find out that this was a colon crystal shield that he um you know and i guess in the heat of the moment to save his padawan he was hoping that it might do something but yeah um the fact that it didn't and that obi-wan's life is at risk here we can understand his reaction um but what happens with Obi-Wan is very, very interesting because, you know, Fanry gestures for Darren to execute him there because he was kind of siding with the treaty, siding with, you know, Zerka in a way, in Fanry's point of view, but siding for the treaty to follow through. And Obi-Wan, just in the in the heat of the moment, you know, he is just trying to defend himself against impending death. Um, but when he turns on his lightsaber, when Darren goes to, to fire at him, his... Uh, his blade is orange and it is able to pass through Darren's shield and Darren <laughs> goes down. And it's like this psych moment where it's like, what is happening in this chapter? And it's just like, this was the moment where I heard portals from Marvel's, uh, end game. Like I, like time slows down and the orange yeah. blade comes out and you hear the, bam, 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 bam. Oh my God. <laughs> Hundred percent. It's so fucking cool. I just love the visual too. Obi Wan Kenobi <laughs> with an orange lightsaber. Uh, it's just. Oh my god! Yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. So he he's able to take Darren down, and but Fanry escapes, and and Qui Gon, you know, once once Fanry and and Katie escape with the royal troops to go take on Zerka in orbit, you know, he's telling Obi Wan, "quote It's a revolution from the top." Rail thought he was defending Fanry. Zerka thought they were manipulating her but she was more than they counted on. And, you know, really, he's got it spot on there. there there's a lot to take in here, but it, it's reminiscent of to me of one of the themes of Pijal, where it's like unsuspecting exteriors reveal much more complex interiors. And that's exactly what we got with now Queen Fanery 
in this chapter as she just totally turns this story on her head and is going to combat the Zerka Corporation orbit. It's just what a roller coaster ride of a chapter. <laughs> yeah, and and to have that reveal too of like where this is, so it's happened. We know we know it's Fanry, but we like Qui Gon. We don't know how far this goes. Yeah. Right now, right anything now, like, is possible. Like, like just yeah, where this can go, who even I, knows? It's, I'm Wado's going to come out of here, right? Like, <laughs> Sebulba, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'll read my my summary for chapter thirty six, and we we can really keep moving through just the aftermath of of this wild chapter thirty five. Now aboard the royal flagship, renamed the Righteous. Queen Fanry prepares her ship for an assault on the Zerka flagship, the Leverage. Where once a young girl was, now stands Pijal's new warrior queen, eager to rid her system of the Zerka Corporation. Aboard a Corellian corvette flying up to confront the Righteous, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Rail plan their next moves to stop Fanry before innocent lives are lost. Qui-Gon remains aboard the corvette while Obi-Wan joins Pax on the Merricks, to sneak onto the Zerka ship and stop Minister Cole from escalating the situation even further against Pijal. Well, this is definitely a first. I don't think I've had to interject in a summary before, but hey listeners, this is Editing Andrew. I just wanted to clarify here, there's been a couple times, including just now in the summary, where past Andrew has gotten Minister Orth and Supervisor Cole confused, calling Cole Minister Cole. So I just wanted to clarify, he meant Supervisor Cole. He's been hitting the spotchka too hard this week with the grad school semester closing up with final papers and exams, but instead of prolonging excuses for him, how about we just get back to the show? Qui-Gon opens a communication with the Zerka supervisor, stalling long enough for the Merricks to sneak by to leverage his scanners. In a desperate attempt to avoid bloodshed, the Jedi Master also contacts Queen Fanery and tries to negotiate. However, the warrior queen is tired of peace and instead chooses war. I do have to clarify off the bat, um, Supervisor Cole did survive the blaster bolt from Captain Darren. As it turns out, Darren, we saw a little bit of this when he was going to shoot Obi-Wan, that when Fanery gave the order, he kind of grimaced and kind of horror at the order, so he didn't really want to do it, but he was doing it out of duty to her, so it seems like in shooting Cole, he wasn't going for the kill. So we see, you know, maybe some redemption for Darren there that he knew this was all wrong. I just had to get that out of the way because I referenced Supervisor Cole a couple of times in the summary and listeners were like, wait, what? I thought she got shot. So anyway, with that out of the way, <laughs> what, were you, what were your thoughts on, on chapter 36 before we start walking through it? Uh, my my thoughts on chapter 36 was that it was a really good chapter. Honestly, it was cool as shit. This whole thing has been amazing. <laughs> I do want to get one thing that we didn't touch on in the last chapter. Yes. It just hit me. It literally just hit me. Prime Minister Orth in her her like very long dress uh skirt uh, sk I, I always i i always fail at describing clothes um but it's like they describe it as like a uh like a long tight dress not, not tight but like a long dress that like restricts her movement a lot so she's got to make a lot of mini like tiny fast steps sure 
And when the shooting happens in the previous chapter, she fucking starts evading blaster bolts <laughs> like she's used to it. And Qui-Gon like takes note of that and is like, oh, like I can't remember the exact there's a there's a line that like Qui-Gon notes it and is like, oh, she is more courage than I like would have given her for or something. And she just like like it was just it was just a really cool moment because that's not a character we expect to be able for to sure. know what to do in a situation under fire, especially when you're in like if you're in like heels and like a, like a close knit skirt that like preve- like prevents your legs from having a lot of movement. I just yep. thought that was really cool to have this female <laughs> character who's like yeah obviously used to the like what fashion restricts you from and she's used to adapting to it and being this just absolute unit under stress and i i loved that and it just hit me um yeah chapter is great what, what happens in the chapter andrew yeah i i do have to i, I love the point that you brought up there because you know maybe there's a lot more to minister or than we know and we need an origin story uh <laughs> <laughs> more like a Wait, oh, no. Mr. Orth. An orthogen story. Uh, no. okay. Well, I guess that's the episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for... Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the episode. Back to Masmerilla. So we started the chapter learning that Fannery has renamed the flagship from the Heavenly Sphere to the Righteous, which I think, first of all, that's just a great choice because uh, it has a much better ring to it. Um, and second of all, I think there's yeah. a lot of symbolism in that choice, uh, you know, where we, we really get the statement from her about what she's doing here and what she believes to be the right and justified position here. Um, you know, she's fully convinced that she is doing the right thing. And we also get some some more symbolism here that I noted where, you know, she's striding through the corridors, she's walking to the bridge, and she's strapping on a breastplate, quote, over her now-stained white gown. And I, I think that's very very telling um and i think it was a, a blood stain i think uh from stabbing the sky the the skykeeper and it's it's very telling that you know that she let the the girl in her die you know every semblance of purity and innocence kind of resembled from this white dress is now gone to be replaced by this warrior queen with blood on kind of covering the white got a breastplate on it. It's really just a complete transformation that Fanner has undergone. Love it. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Brilliant read. Also, Claudia Gray, go fuck yourself. You're genuinely a gorgeous writer (laughs) and you, you do nothing but amazing services to people who read. Take a shot. Take a shot. Yeah. (laughs) Take a shot. No. Yeah. I no. That's, that's, it's a great point though, that like, we on, on the on the subject of Fanry revealing herself. This is like a this is a multifaceted stage, mm. right? She comes out. Her hair is out publicly, as you as you mentioned, specifically and more specifically publicly, because the public is used to only seeing their princess uh, with their regent with her hair up in a in the scarf, yeah. right? That's okay. So we've got that, and then we've we've got this amazing gown, this amazing dress. She stabs it, gets coated, as you fucking said. I, I just I love this buildup of her transition of who she mm. is becoming. And we're gonna have a we're gonna have a line at the end of this chapter that I'm I, I will then um I, I will then do some squeal screeches screams and marks to uh, <laughs> I think I think that was a, an interesting point where you said that you know she is revealing who is she, who she's becoming but I think in a certain way for for Rail for Qui Gon you know he makes a note of this it's maybe not so much as seeing who she's becoming much as so much as seeing who she has been but they just have been too blinded. Yes! To, that's a good to point. See it. But I also, yeah, I also you that's know, a very good point. There's also a matter of growing into that kind of role when you're actually in the moment. So you know, well, I, I would I would argue that like while it's it's obviously on a on a level of ideology and and thought mm. process, she's been there, yeah. right? 
I, th- I think it's this chapter clearly shows this isn't a decision you make overnight. She's been yeah. there. She's it's she's been, been methodically planning. Yeah. However, fi- visibly and physically, mm. what she has done, as far as we know, it's her first time doing. Yeah, yeah, for she sure. She was in front of thousands of people wielding a sword and then stabbed some- somehow stabbed somebody. You didn't kill them, which I don't really understand how you do because I feel like the pointy end just goes right on. Sticking with the pointy end, you know, know. like sticking <laughs> with the pointy end. But I, I think that's a really cool thing to note is that, like, there is there is the difference between ideology and, and action, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. And we're, we're witnessing her ideology perform the action for the first time, and now she's she's donning herself in more battle armor as, as she makes more stains on her soul as she, yeah. as she moves forward. Whether or not those stains on her soul are, are bad or good, that's entirely up to the reader. I don't say that in a derogatory term. Sure. Just more, I guess what I should say are consequences that will definitely, 100%. Will, will certainly ripple with, with her life anyway we i uh, sorry yeah, rant is that, my rant. that's a fair point you know you know it's it is a very different step from kind of marinating on these thoughts and these ideologies for a while but then actually taking the step to act on it which i feel like a lot of people yeah. don't you know might not have the the boldness or the courage to, to do that in some situations but she did take that step for and made it a reality Yes. So it, it, that's that's a fair point. That's a that's a good point. And we, and we see the the gray area here when when Katie is with her. She's now donned in a, a black guard uniform. So she's been one of them all the you know all along all along. But you know just minutes before we get this note that one of the droids there had rid her of the Zerka slave tag in her hand and she was quote that... alight with triumph. And so I do think it's important yeah. to see and and realize that. What they're doing and what they stand for isn't necessarily entirely bad. You know, Katie is freed of slavery. That That is one of the yeah. worst stains in the galaxy. But then the way that they're going about it might be the catch. Kind of reminiscent of what we got in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You know, uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. You know, with, with Carly Morgenthau. Spoiler alert, you know, uh, it's... Or maybe not spoilers, but, yeah. but what they're doing, you, you can see there's, there's merit and maybe good intentions... For in their position but it's the way that they go about it that might start raising the flags a little bit that's what and yes you're you were yeah yeah that's 100 the read of the situation and again to talk back on the previous chapter but like when she wields the sword before she stabs the sky keeper she like like we said at the beginning of this episode i left my stuff but uh she uh she mentions that she promises to stand up for the good of pajal yeah and she i I thought was it Obi-Wan or was it the Skykeeper but she like points the blade at them and says like you would have us under slaves or something like I that think, and like uh, let me she, she she does it to Obi-Wan where she says like you wanted us to turn a vote yep. to Zerka yep. Darren do the deed it was Obi-Wan, but yep. then she kills yeah okay 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 so that's but that's like that was that reveal was that her her stance on this is is fairly fucking righteous like yeah. she explains that like she doesn't agree with zirka at all she never fucking has it's just that the people around her that didn't stand with her have and she is finally taking that stance and she she as as a good politician she 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 bided her time for the right moment and as soon as that coronation happened she was able to act with pure authority yeah and it's i mean honestly Good fucking game, Fanry. Yeah. You, you played it well. well. Played. You played it well. <laughs> well played. You know, caught me totally by yeah. surprise. I'll say it again. And uh, yeah, 
and that, and that reveal of of Katie's slave switch on her on her wrist or whatever they call it, I uh, being removed. That was a really interesting. Like, oh, this also like I this is also a personal thing. Like I like she a, a very close friend of hers was attached to this. Yeah. So this 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 is I mean, granted, your your own planet, your own people. That's as personal as it gets. But when you have a friend so close sure. to you that's been around you the whole time and you've been able to help genuinely liberate them and be a picture of liberation for them. That's yeah, it's I mean, Fanry's not necessarily wrong. I mean, this yeah. is the thing Qui-Gon was dealing with, right? Where he was like, Oh, if I can't if I can't stop this, maybe I'll take in the last in the previous episode, uh you and Jessica were talking Jess were talking, excuse me, Jess, sorry. But you and Jess were talking and saying like oh well maybe i'll go into more uh less legal yep. means to to so it's i mean we, we're dealing with a spectrum of moral ambiguity and for sure it's brilliant to see everybody react to it. 100 that's a that's a great connection too where it's you know we see fanery is also you know deci- deciding that traditional means aren't working so it's time to do something else something out of the box and very different from qui-gon's approach to his situation but it, they're coming from the same kind of <laughs> point that's a that's a great connection here and and we do get this thought from fanery when she's thinking about rail where she's thinking quote avaros had only seen a child when he looked at her but that was because he had only ever really saw nimpiana fanery could pity that poor wretch the girl she'd never met but knew she would not share nim's fate and i think there's a lot there um you know i, I will i will say calling nim a, a poor wretch kind of uh, really shows it kind of puts a stamp on the 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 character switch in in Fandry now it's very kind of harsh but now, now that i'm thinking about it i wonder if she came to resent this person she'd never met this this nim piana because Kind of, it, it was Nim who had taken her place there in her relationship with Rail. That Rail hadn't hadn't seen Fanery. He was really just trying to atone for Nim and trying to help Nim Piana, and, and never really paid attention to who Fanery really was. And I wonder if Fanery kind of resented Nim for that because she, uh, you know, and by no fault of Nim, it's it's Rail here, but kind of was in the way of 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 Fanery getting the attention and and care that she needed for her personal development it's it's a tricky yeah. situation 100 percent, and also i mean I, I i think it's like that's gonna happen when you're raised by somebody whose entire life of reaction is built off of something they've already done and are not doing with you but they're convinced that they are and so the fact that she calls her like, oh, that poor wretch, like I, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, she's looking at it as like, oh, like I, the, the only fucking father figure in my life is, is fixated on you and he yeah. failed you and sees me and he sees you and me and it's, yeah, you're, you're a poor wretch. You, you were, you were ultimately failed. But in the next scene, we're on the Corellian Corvette and we, we do get this explanation for what happened to Obi-Wan's lightsaber. So, you know, there earlier in the book, he had shown Fanry how to disassemble his saber because she was asking questions about his lightsaber, about kyber crystals. And we see that here- brilliant punk. <laughs> That brilliant that punk. Brilliant, exactly, that brilliant punk. Could you show me how to disassemble your massive weapon? I'm so curious. <laughs> but it was I would love to see how it gets turned off and obliterated. Right? It was it's it's so fascinating that she had planned this out so that she knew how to disassemble. because Obi-Wan had to leave his lightsaber out of the celestial chalice when they were kind of rehearsing the day before. And she had had someone kind of disassemble Obi-Wan's lightsaber and replace the kyber crystal with a colon crystal so that he would not be 
a threat against them, but they hadn't really anticipated kind of Colin cutting through Colin. You know, that's how he was able to slice through Captain Darren's personal shield. But also the blade that the Colin crystal generates isn't as strong as Kyber. So that's how Darren was also able to survive, although also wounded from that. And so we get the plan where Obi-Wan is going to sneak onto the leverage with Pax, and so there's a brief transition scene where they inform Pax of the plan, and Obi-Wan joins him on the Merricks. But I, I kind of want to get to this, this, the final act of this chapter, um, you know, where the Merricks is able to slip onto the leverage past their scanners. It's the Hondo maneuver. The Hondo maneuver. <laughs> it's the fucking Hondo maneuver. That's all I thought was him going like, uh, it is a 99% chance of failure. <laughs> <laughs> such a such a great moment. I think that's uh, a bit, but I guess they made it cool before Hondo, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, no. <laughs> the motherfucking Pax was rolling that shit while Hondo was on the other side of the right? galaxy doing it. <laughs> so Qui-Gon has this moment where he is kind of scanning through the force the the righteous to kind of get the an idea of whether the crew are totally bought into Fanry if they're if they're buying into this massive turn of events or if they're only doing this out of duty kind of like what happened with Darren and my initial thought was like that's kind of OP by Qui-Gon just like force scan is now is now a thing like it was just <laughs> yeah it seemed yeah. yeah it seemed out of nowhere and kind of OP maybe it does seem overpowered but I I did like that they mentioned that um Honestly, the, the choreography of the scene genuinely kind of confused me because it seemed like all three of these ships were just like spitting distance from each other, yeah. but not doing anything. Like I, I, I reread it multiple times and I still felt like an idiot at the end of it where I was like, I don't, I'm not trying to say this is bad writing. I'm just trying to say I'm genuinely confused, sure. but I, I had to imagine that the ship was close enough for him to reach out. Yeah and feel but i the point earlier that i was trying to get out was i like that they tried to explain that like you can reach out into a room but if there's multiple people with differing yep. mindsets you're not going to be able to hone in on whichever mindset you're hoping to hone in yep. on because it's it becomes this gaseous state where you're you're just permeating through it and you, yep. you can't do it it's anything. all just conflated um, yeah and I, I did like that yeah yeah for sure and i think they they do clarify that you know why these ships are close is because uh, Qui-Gon had given the order for the Corvette to activate their tractor beam on the Righteous. So they're kind of trying to pull them. In. So I, they, they can't pull them in close because the Righteous, I think, is bigger than the Corvette. But I think they have to be within range enough to activate the tractor beam. So I'm, we, we never get the a perfect image of how close they are, but they have to be kind of like within range of this kind of smaller tractor beam on this Corvette. And yeah. and at the moment, See, sorry, go on. No, 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 please keep going. I was just clarifying that, like at the moment, the righteous is not able to kind of continue their advance on the leverage to open fire, but they start charging up their weapons. Um, they can't move, but they can still turn towards the leverage if they if they need to. Just just clarifying yeah. that. I so the thing that confused me about that though was. Fanry got away much quicker than Qui-Gon. They did. caught up pretty fast. <laughs> she was already in a ship. Like it, it felt like a it felt like a writing of just the like like the bad guy gets away and is in a ship now orbiting the planet. And then the next scene is just now we have two sh three ships in total orbiting the planet. Two are the goodies, and one is the baddie. Yeah, that, and yeah. that's why I was like, wait, so did the baddies just let the good guys fly up to them it seemed, and like yeah. didn't do anything? 
Because then, like, the Merrick's flying in. I was like, okay, so maybe you didn't even need your scanner if they're just going to let good guy ships fly up close enough to use a tractor beam on them. Like, I'm kind of confused at, like, why they let anybody get close enough to do that to them. But It's a great point. I do feel, with you bringing that up, that it was... You know, we see how they got to this last scene, but it doesn't really make sense. We see that they are yeah, at this but last also, scene. But also, that's it's... a small point. I'm honestly not here to nitpick yeah. that. Just bring it up. Like, I honestly, that didn't ruin my fucking experience. Yeah. It was just a thing that I brought up. And I was like, oh, that's no fucking weird. But because this is still a good ass chapter. It really oh, for still sure. is. Like, I, but I just always want to preface that because I feel like when I talk about something and bring something up, I feel like I have a habit of kind of being a little too negative about it. That's, that's a fair point. Never my intention, <laughs> it's a fair because I thought about that too, where but, it's um, like they were. It, it, they must have caught up really fast or the the righteous was just like d- just, just <laughs> doing chilling. Just doing like, fuck all like while this happened fanry's walking around being like my man my man that was awesome did you They're see that shit themselves the whole time like oh wait we got a job to do <laughs> but as the as the chapter closes you know fanry now, they open up this communication to Fanry, and she points out to Rail, like, hey, this was never about me. This was about Nim, you know, and you saw her instead of me. And, you know, she really brought her thoughts to light and accused Rail of this. And really, we can't say that she's wrong because she's kind of spot on that this was the case where, you know, Rail was, although he undoubtedly cared about Fanry, it was just a matter for him to really atone for his mistakes um, he did have those blinders on that he was never really attending to Fanry completely where it was trying to atone for his past. Um, so she scores a point there. And then she also, you know, when Qui-Gon tries to speak up, she says, Hey, you know, the Republic's compromised by Zerka, you know, with their money and influence and that, you know, she is doing kind of like the only thing that she thinks can work here where, you know, again, I'm not saying that she has the right the, the best solution here, but she also kind of has a point about the Republic that, you know, we saw that Obi-Wan earlier has kind of like this, what we see, what we see as kind of like this naive trust in his institutions around him, but then Fanry at a much younger age is kind of showing a bit of wisdom here that, you know, al- although she's being cynical about it, she's kind of right that, yeah, the, the chance of the Republic being totally outside of the influence of Zerka's wealth, it's not... It's not great. So we we see here that, again, she's going about it in the wrong way, but she does have some good points. You love it or hate it. Yeah. I I agreed with every point that she had, personally. Especially, like uh, like you said, like Obi-Wan is uh, bringing up the Republic and, and his, his, like, his naivete with, with what democracy is, where he was willing to... Which that's that's a whole other can of worms yeah. that Obi Wan <laughs> was willing to go. My masters have the right idea for your people, so let their idea happen, and then maybe maybe your people could vote out Oof. the idea in, in in the years to come. There's some colonization Which, like, that already aspects is there, like you know, not how. Oh, hey, my people know what's best for you. Oh my god, got him, dude. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing that sucks is like she and she mentions it too, right? Wow. She has that line where she says like we like by my history lessons, Pijal has never been free. Yeah, we have always have have have, have sacrificed our pure authority to Zerka based on every negotiation in the past. So something something to that uh, to that degree, point. but um, but yeah, like I fucking agree with her, and also like let's be real, like when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to a uh, revelation and a revolution or the revelation found within the thing, 
it's it's not an easy thing. Yeah. It, that's a slippery slope, and it's one that you have to be brave and ambitious yeah. to take, right? No, no matter what your ideology, it's it's not something you easily do. And what she's doing, she believes in, and that's something that I have a lot of I have a lot of love for that character. Yeah. Is she she not only put herself out there uh, physically, but also ideologically? Like she's gonna go down in the history books as the Pajali queen who stabbed somebody who actively ordered for a shooting in a ceremony, a coronation, um, which is that's a pretty bad look. Yeah. But when you look at what her reasoning is, and she's trying to get this message across, and she's trying to sever all ties, I, I'm not gonna sit here and talk about what the cost of sacrifice is, but. I just, she was willing to do it. And I think that's better than most people. And, um, you know, I guess that's kind of in line with her closing kind of words to, to Qui-Gon here, you know, where he's trying to negotiate, trying to find this peace to avoid any loss of life. And she tells him, kind of in line of what you're saying, quote, I've seen the cost of peace. I prefer war. <laughs> it's... You know, we we can't say that she's, you know, is war the answer? I don't know. Maybe not. But we have to admit there has been a heavy, heavy cost of peace where Zerka has been able to yes. do their thing and slave thousands of people, you know, really rob them of their humanity, of their lives. And she's seeing this happen to her world and and seeing that the the, the adults around her, those who have influence while she's growing while she's still growing into the crown she's still not queen yet she's seeing them really get manipulated and extorted and also complicit in all of this with rail i don't know if loss of life and killing innocents potentially killing innocents here because that's all that's what might happen if she fires upon the leverage is the right answer but she is coming from a, a place where she's seen the heavy cost of peace and we we i i I can't i can't falter there i i can't it's yeah that's what it's 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 a moment where I think everybody in the world, if if we're reading this, understands a decision has to be made, and there's not necessarily a wrong one. I I would also like to bring up that this situation kind of helps paint a pretty good picture of why Sheev is able to sweep in with the uh, vote of no confidence in episode one and take over, because th- you could look at this mm. in a way of, and we've already got the Jordica showing up yeah. at one point, right? So you could look at this as a pretty interesting uh, a picture being painted wow. of like why why the Galactic War uh, the why the Clone Wars even happens in the first place yeah and in Clone Wars when we, and and you and I will have plenty of conversations about this but when you get those humanizing episodes about the Separatists and you realize that their whole shtick is that they kind of fucking hate that the Republic is basically making these weird concessions to other people just to make everybody yeah. happy but the lower man the, the 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 lower individual is less happy than the higher individual that's what causes war right yeah. it's 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 the opposite of like uh, of of power to the people for the people by the people it's it's the complete fucking opposite it's power to the influential by the influential for the influential go fuck yourself if you're not reach it yep and and fanry is bringing up a really good fucking point where she's like in the history books we've all we've ever fucking done is give up more power and I'm taking all of that back with one motion. It's great. Yeah. It's fucking great. Uh, that's some really, really important and, and fantastic connections uh, that you made both within the Star Wars universe with the Clone Wars and the Separatists, but then also to the world that we live in. Yeah. They're very, very real in some ways, in many ways to what we experience in, in our world. And 
know, as we close up the chapter, a lot has happened. This could go anywhere. You know, they're preparing to fire upon the Zerka ship. Have to see what Obi-Wan and Pax do, but really the, the, the biggest takeaway is this this new, maybe not, maybe not even new fanery, but, but Queen fanery stepping into the light um, and, and revealing who she truly is and where she's coming from. We see the nuances, the gray area, nothing so simple, but we know that this is going to be a fantastic end to the book with how with however it plays out. But Connor, that brings us to the end of this chapter, to the end of this episode. We've had a great conversation. Thank you so much for, for coming on to talk really about what I think might be some of the best chapters, especially this one, and then just the themes and symbols behind it in the entire book. Thanks for being here. I Fuck you, man. Honestly, every every episode you've had this season for this book, they've been the best chapters. This is a really well-written book. It's 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 genuinely, Claudia, I, homie, I hope you hear this because you're an amazing <laughs> take <a> fucking shot. <laughs> author. And take a shot every time you want to love oh Claudia. But no, but like, I yeah, I appreciate you bringing me on. Um, always. I mean, it's always an ask and it's always a yes. But I, yeah, this is a blast. Uh, the conversation I have with you is amazing. Also, as your editor, it's <laughs> kind of fucking great getting to read the book and then getting to hear these one-on-one conversations that are not edited mm-hmm. and then have to, having to edit them and having to condense them. You, you bring on such great guests and the conversations in general, this is an amazing show. And I, I sound completely biased right now, <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. I'm just giddy as shit, man. These were great chapters and I'm, I'm on a fucking high right now. I, I'm, I'm on, I don't, it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't talk good, but, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Andrew. (laughs) I appreciate that, that you have enjoyed the book as much as you have. And, and again, no one will ever know really, um, unless I make a documentary about all the, all the hours, all the work that you put in behind the scenes to make the episodes what they are. And so I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you (laughs) talking for an hour and a half that you're going to have to edit. (laughs) It'll be it'll be a, it'll be a two minute documentary of all of the Instagram video messages I've ever sent you. Yes, oh. <laughs> that's that's all it'll be. It'll be just a two minute YouTube release video. Release the Connor cut. Release the Connor. Cut. <laughs> you missed a Hamilton reference here. Also, you're an idiot. <laughs> oh, what a, what a way to what a way to end it, man. Thanks <laughs> thanks for being here. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. And before we close up today, I'll give our discussion question for these chapters. Queen Fanry has turned the tables entirely on Pijal, lashing out at the corrupt Zerka Corporation and condemning the Republic for not having the fortitude to stop the company. What are the merits of Fanry's revolution? What are the risks? Ultimately, is this the right thing to do? And listeners, I will post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please send us a response on any of those platforms, or you can reach out by email to OuterRimReadsPod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay up to date on the show and our discussion questions, feel free to give us a follow on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so if you head over to patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. And if you want some merch, you can find us at outerrimreads.creator-spring.com. 
Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is hosted by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Geha as well as Simon Van Vakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 36, the season two finale. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Oh, you didn't hear? We're, we're closing early. There's kind of a space battle on the brink in orbit. Y yeah, no, you can finish your spotchka, but you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs>